PhotoShelter is the online leader for photography websites. Archive, distribute, and display your photos in a flash-free, responsive website. Try one for free for 14 days at PhotoShelter.com. Get our latest educational guides for free. PhotoShelter.com slash resources. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Alan Murabayashi, broadcasting live from New York City, the home of Photo Shelter. You're listening to episode 59 of the I Love Photography podcast. You might be watching us by going to youtube.com slash photo shelter, or you might be listening to the audio podcast by going to iTunes and searching for I Love Photography. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Fernando. How are you doing, Fernando? I'm all right, Alan. How are you? We have some controversial topics to talk about this week. <laughs> so why don't we <laughs> jump right into it. Uh, there was a there was an article written on Medium by a photographer named Roger May, who's been documenting Appalachia uh, for many, many years. And he was commenting on uh, a piece in the Vice photo issue. And this piece was shot by two photographers, one of whom was Bruce Gilden. Um, and in typical Bruce Gilden fashion, he kind of shot the way that he shoots. And uh, Roger May took, uh, had some, some issues with it, as did I. Uh, <laughs> and looking at um, the way that Bruce operates. Um, and, you know, it's funny, my point and Roger's point, well, is really that the guy goes in, he doesn't really bother to try to capture anything about the place and the people and the time other than um, what could reasonably be described as really ugly portraits of people just because the, you know, the flash is on camera. He literally moves the camera up into people's faces. Uh, they're unflattering portraits at best. Um, and uh, I, I took issue with it because it shows a complete lack of empathy for the subjects. Um, it's not documentary photography in the traditional sense. Uh, and people commented, well, you know, this is how Bruce does stuff and, and Vice knew exactly what they were getting when they hired him to shoot. Your thoughts on the issue? Yeah, I, I think I saw some of those comments that you're bringing up and, you know, I have to, I have to agree with them and respectfully disagree with you mm -hmm. um, because Bruce Gilden is Bruce Gilden and Vice is Vice. You know, Vice is not National Geographic trying to portray this empathetic story about Appalachia. It's, it's Vice and they knew what they wanted with Bruce Gilden and they sent him there. And I don't think he owes anybody anything. He portrays what he sees, how he sees it. And I think it's pretty great that he was able to take the same pictures that he takes on the gritty streets of New York in the Appalachia. People look the same. And I think that's the overall theme here. I, I, I completely agree with the comments that say Vice knew what they were doing and Bruce knew what he was doing and he, he, he shot the way that he shot. Mm -hmm. I guess my problem is that why do you have to pick on Appalachia that way? You know, there's so many, if Bruce could go into anywhere, why do we have to reinforce a stereotype of one of the most downtrodden places in America, um, taking photos of people that really accentuate kind of the ugliness of the area rather than saying, and, and, and Roger's point was, look, we, we have this whole effort here documenting um, the area with people who live in the area. 
And it's not the stereotype that is being portrayed by people like Bruce when he sweeps in for literally two days to take these photos. So that's where I was coming from. I, I don't mind that Bruce is doing his thing. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I thought about it and, you know, he's a street photographer. He's not a photojournalist uh, in, in strict sense. I just, I just thought that, that there's a terrible lack of empathy uh, around an area that's just been beaten up a lot. And so I just kind of felt, I, I felt for what Roger was doing, his, his point of view mm -hmm. uh, being from that area. Um, and I just thought it was kind of, it was kind of slimy. It was kind of clickbaity advice to, you know, say, Oh, let's go back to, to Appalachia and like, and hire Bruce Gilden. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know too much about the history of the Appalachia and the, or that region and, you know, all of its downtrodden past, but um, I, I don't know. It seems like, yeah, that was on Vice's part. They wanted that story and probably for potential clickbait reasons. But then the photographs are still very good. And I think that's something that cannot really be disputed, especially when you compare when you compare it to the author's own images who, I don't know, I got a little bit of a sense that he might have been somewhat upset that his own work of the Appalachia wasn't as interesting because, mm -hmm. because they're not that interesting. And, at least Bruce, I think, and Krant, uh, the other photographer, I forgot her Katrina, name, Katrina Kranitz yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, they bring something out. They bring a story out of there. And I think with the comments about how religion has nowhere to go, so their way, that way it stays in Appalachian and it's everywhere. And that was really evident through their photos. So I think given the story that Vice wanted to tell, regardless of the story that Appalachia and its residents want to tell, mm -hmm. it was successful in that. And I think the photographs um, showed that despite. So not, not to belabor a point, yeah. but, but had, had Vice sent Bruce Gilden to go to Brazil yeah. and to go into the favela yeah. and he came out and he, he brought these same types of images, would you feel the same way about it? Or would you say, Hey man, why, why you got to pick on the people in the favelas? I, I would probably f feel the same way. It's hard to tell because, you know, your emotions change with things yeah. like this. But um, I think a photographer, I don't know, I think a photographer sees the way that he sees. Uh -huh. And you can't, an, an empathetic photographer sees that way and he tries to depict that. And that's his own vision. This is Bruce's own vision of what he's seeing. So I don't know if we can dispute what's right or what's wrong when it's about more artistic intent and <laughs> because we don't inherently owe anyone anything, you know? Uh, yeah. 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 I, I agree with that. I mean, it's his, it's his vision. That's, that's totally fair. I, I find his approach to be very, very aggressive, um, irrespective of what he's shooting. Yeah. Uh, and, and I thought that the, the things that he shot and the approach, you know, the, Roger's article talked about the other photographer, and Bruce not getting along mm -hmm. um, because she thought that Bruce was not being respectful of the places that he was going to. Um, and so I, I kind of felt for her position too. I, I think that she was trying to, to be a typical photojournalist um, and be respectful. And Bruce just doesn't play by those games. No, um, he's been through it. He, you know, he knows the game, I think. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he, he's more realistic and less idealistic about photography and yes, the world that I, will, that I, um, agree with. 
<laughs> I had I had an old teacher who had him as a as a mentor at SVA in the master's program. Bruce was his tutor, and he literally just picked up my teacher's stack of photos and would just toss them like shit. Excuse me, garbage, 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 garbage. And then ah, this is a good one. Let's keep this one. Garbage, garbage, garbage. Because he he has been through it for so long, and he yeah. knows he knows what he knows, you know, and he. He's tr- maybe was trying to set the photographer on a better path. I don't know. We're we're like an ESPN show or a, or a uh, CNN <laughs> show today with with opposite sides of the fence there. Uh, but an uh, yeah. interesting viewpoint, uh, nonetheless. The 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 links that we're talking about today um, can all be found on our blog at blog.photoshop.com if you want to read these essays that we're talking about and see the photos that we will talk about next. Um, photos and videos of police have been in the news, it feels like nonstop for the past two years or so. Um, here is yet another image that uh, is being seen in the Washington Post. And what we see here is a cop uh, holding his gun, pointing at two black uh, women who are outside of a car. And uh, the caption says, I live in Cleveland and this just happened. Uh, and so in the way that Outrage spreads on the internet. People were outraged that a white cop was pointing his gun uh, at two women who seemed to just be stepping outside of the car. Um, and it went into this outrage spiral on the internet. And then the backstory came out that they, they were intoxicated, they were doing dangerous things, and the cop was absolutely following procedure when he did this. Um, I have nothing more to say about this other than the image without context is really nothing. We can't, we can't really interpret it without the context. And here was a situation because police malfeasance has been such, so much in the news, um, and we've really seen the bad side of cops, we just assumed that this guy was a bad, another bad cop, and turns out he wasn't. He really was dealing with people who shouldn't have been on the road. Um, yeah, the, the internet <laughs> loves to take images and use them completely out of context without enough background information to support whatever argument they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. And this is a time where a photo like this could very well happen, given that we see it come up, you know, every other week or so. So that makes sense. But, you know, at least try to look at what's just beyond the lens or what happened just before and actually tell it appropriately as opposed to just this is what I think is happening right now. Yeah, the scary thing to me is that I think the the environment is so tense right now that an image like this could literally lead to violence. Yeah. Not not by the people portrayed in the image, but other people being outraged that they riot or, you know, some sort of violence occurs out of it. And so it's funny to think of, you know, I I'm, I'm actually in the midst of writing a a, a blog post uh, about photography as a weapon. And this is one of the examples that I'm bringing up where misinterpretation can really lead to pretty severe outcomes. Um, and so it's just interesting to see that, you know, the viral spread of images, the outrage uh, on the, the internet, we, we get outraged at everything. No matter how big or small, we need to be outraged about something. And it's, it's a funny, funny part of, uh, a funny slice of time right now that we're living in. Yeah. Are you going to mention Bruce Gilden in your article? <laughs> I, you know, that, that's a good point. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to keep haranguing the guy. I mean, I think again, he's, he, he does what he does, 
Vice hired him specifically because he does what he does. And they, they knew, you know, they're a controversial brand. So, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think he inflames that, that selection in his style and uh, a photography and the way that he gets an image has an effect on people. For sure. And I mean, photography is a weapon without a doubt. I think I was reading somewhere recently. I can't quite remember where, where the photographer in whatever scenario he holds complete power. So I'm, I'm excited to see your article, but <laughs> the photographer, he is in complete control of every situation that he is photographing and he can play it according to whatever he wants to play it. So it, I'm curious to see what you write about it. The, you know, the, the, the thing that always comes to mind that isn't necessarily about weapon, but it's about point of view of the photographer is when I went to Cambodia and we went to uh, Angkor Wat. So, you know, this uh, Indiana Jones-esque temples mm -hmm. and everyone goes at sunrise because it's just beautiful but the crowd is all on one side of this this ancient structure and you shoot a picture of the structure and it looks completely serene and if you just turn your camera around you see a thousand people there oh my god and it just goes to show you like point of view is everything mm -hmm. um but yeah maybe i'll use that uh in my example as well so uh, we'll have something to talk about next week for sure. I complete this, this article. <laughs> Over on the Lens blog, James Estrin interviews a guy who invented the original digital camera. Now, look at this thing. You know, a lot of companies started building digital cameras in the uh, mid to late 90s. I had one of the first Olympus point-and-shoot cameras that shot 640 by 480, but this baby wow. <laughs> recorded images onto cassette tape. That is a cassette tape because there was no other sort of magnetic media that this 24-year-old engineer at Kodak could get his hands on at the time. So Stephen Sasson is the young engineer who went to work for uh, Kodak, and he built this thing himself, and he pitched it to his managers, and they said, we don't want to build anything that's going to cannibalize our film business. And he said, And they said, well, you can keep working on it, but you do it on your own time. So he kept refining it. And he got to the point where he said, well, I think with Moore's Law and all of these other technological trends that we're seeing, I think in 20 years, this could be really something. And they said, again, we're not going to do anything to cannibalize our film business. And now Kodak has, <laughs> has gone bankrupt. Yeah. It's just strange. Strange. I mean, that's, I think, big short-sightedness on uh, the executives that made that decision. I mean, talk about this guy being ahead of his time. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's just incredible. I, you know, it, it, it leads me to believe, you know, you hear about these people who are, their job title is futurist. Yeah. And their job is to think about what the future looks like and then hopefully influence the way that companies, organizations, governments, et cetera, think about the future and had they, you know, he was essentially a futurist, but management didn't want to listen to him. Um, right. And so, but you know, it, it, hindsight is, is twenty twenty, and we look mm -hmm. back and they say, oh, how foolish of them. And yet, you know, we, we're probably making the same mistakes uh, that those executives were today. Probably, so, yeah. You know, what's mobile? Why do we need mobile websites? We made that mistake, you know, five <laughs> years ago. Mm -hmm. Why do we need mobile? Anyway, really, really interesting piece. Uh, and there's a, there's a, you know, interview questions, um, just really, really interesting to see how, how far we've come in 40 years. The National Geographic 
Magazine always has an annual traveler photo contest. And some of the images are created by professionals and some of them are just created by normal people with cameras. And as usual, the images are stunning. It, it's hard to believe that just average Joes make these photos. But I guess, you know, if you're, if you love photography and you're traveling and you, and you are in, have the, the drive and the incentive, why not? But beautiful, beautiful photos. Yeah, there are some really great images here. And I mean, the boundaries of, I guess, professional photographers and normal folks. <laughs> yeah, are, it doesn't are, exist. They, they do not exist anymore, you know, not only because of the advent of, you know, the mobile cameras and the, how much cheaper they are now, but also access to really good imagery is so, so huge right now that you could, you could learn by browsing the web. You could easily become a better photographer each day by looking at photo other photographers' work and going to National Geographic and learning. And you know, from that. looking at some of these images, you can also see how sophisticated some of these people's post-processing mm -hmm. abilities are. You know, the toning in this particular image, for example, and I know we're lo we're looking at a screen grab of an image, but it's stunning the tonality of this image. And then this next one with the wrestlers. The white of his eye has clearly been popped a little bit, but again, just to just to conceive of a photo that way, and you you take the photo and it's framed and composed properly, and then you go home, and then you have the your whole whole post processing uh, workflow there. Really, really inspiring work. Yeah, definitely, and really nice to see too. Yeah, beautiful stuff. Congratulations to all the winners. Speaking of National Geographic. Joel Sartori, who is a National Geographic photographer, also a photo shelter uh, user, um, his images were projected onto the side of the Empire State Building. Uh, that was about a week ago or two weeks ago. A phenomenal, phenomenal uh, presentation showing um, animals who, that are uh, endangered. Uh, and they used 40 stacked 20,000 lumen projectors on the roof of a building at West 31st Street. And uh, two guys, Mr. Threlkel and Mr. Saihoyas, I'm probably <laughs> butchering those, uh, who uh, directed the, the documentary The Cove about the killing of the dolphins, uh, which was also a great uh, documentary, uh, were in charge of putting this together. Joel Sartori has a project called the Photo Arc, and he's photographed nearly 4,700 animals, again, as a visual record of life before it disappears on the planet. Uh, I thought this was such an interesting project, and it was the first time that in the history of the Empire State Building, you know, the, everybody knows about the lights and they change the color of the lights um, for various reasons, you know, the Yankees win and then they're blue and white or it's Christmas time and they're red and green. But this is the first time that a multimedia project was projected on the side of the Empire State Building. And by all accounts, it was a major success. Yeah, it was a terrific success. So many people were posting it on social media. And I mean, I feel like it hopefully raised a lot of awareness on the endangered animals. I actually went onto the street to see this close to my house, but I 
didn't realize that it was going to be on the south side of the <laughs> Empire State Building. So I waited for 15 minutes just watching the, the east side of it with nothing happening. Well, that's a damn shame. <laughs> it was. But these are, oh man, this is just a great project, I think. I, I'm, I'm very interested to see if other organizations follow up with this idea. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Now, on the other hand, if you live close to the building and you're seeing all of this light going on, it, might, it probably gets a little bit annoying. Or if you're working in the building, <laughs> if you're working time, in the building it's yeah. probably a little annoying. But, you know, a couple times a year for a good cause. Uh, yeah, they did a great job on that. So kudos mm -hmm. to those guys. You usually don't find photographers in the style section of New York Magazine, which is known as The Cut. But uh, in this particular photo essay, they talked to different men in New York and talked about their favorite article of clothing. And one of the people happened to be Ron Haviv, the uh, world famous photojournalist who talks about wearing a scarf. And, you know, there certainly is this image of photojournalists wearing scarves is kind of a way to look cool. But Ron points out it's pretty darn handy. Uh, when you get tear gas, you can put it over your mouth. And when it's too sunny, you can put it over your head. And when it's too windy, you can wrap it around your neck. But good for Ron for being in a, in a fashion section. Yeah, and this is a cool little photo project they did with the diptychs of the portraits and their, their one thing. Yeah, I like it. I mean, they're beautiful photos. Yeah, it was nice to see for sure. This, and I didn't know that I hadn't realized that the guy was a run of you was a photojournalist too. So now it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. He's he's uh, he's done a lot of work in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, for for that reason, it, it totally makes a lot of sense. Um, I can't remember who who shot this. Was it uh, Bobby Doherty? We'll have to look that up. Bobby Doherty shoots everything for New York Mag, so I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> he's such a versatile photographer. Um, but lovely, lovely portraits, and 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 to your point, Fernando, great diptychs there. Over on Petapixel, I don't know that it's a trend per se, <laughs> but there's at least a handful of photographers who've decided that they're going to shoot portraits of their babies in their camera bags. Um, and so we have a whole set of portraits, and you know what? Apparently, like cats who like to sit in boxes, I guess it's pretty comfortable for the baby to sort of be swaddled <laughs> in the camera bag. <laughs> with all the gear. I can think of a few uh, photographers who've had babies recently that need to do this little trick here. Attention, Chris O'Young. Attention, Chris O'Young, yes. Uh, Eric Chang, who's the DOP for um, the, the DJI Phantom, the drone a company oh, wow. just recently had a baby. I think he could put a lot of drones with his baby. <laughs> That's a fun idea. I, I feel like if you can fit your baby inside your camera bag, you're carrying too much gear. <laughs> <laughs> well, this baby is like busting out of the camera. Yeah, yeah, this here. makes a little more sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Love it. Mm -hmm. uh, also on Petapixel, here is uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken has decided as a limited time promotion, they're going to create a fried chicken bucket <laughs> that has a built-in instant photo printer. They promise everyone on their Facebook page that this is not a hoax, that they are, in fact, building a limited number of these babies. And I think I might need one of these. Uh, I'm not sure why. 
Um, it will go next to the Fuji remote printer that I have sitting on my shelf in front of me that hasn't been used in a year. Um, but I guess it's a conversation piece, if nothing else. And you get chicken in it. As long as you get chicken in it. Yeah, it's an empty bucket. It might not be so much worth it, but. <laughs> and you can fill it with more chicken. <laughs> you could. It's cool. It's cool. So yeah. we found this on Petapixel, and then you found something over in your, your uh, homeland of Brazil. Tell us about this one. Yeah, this was a couple of years ago, maybe a few years ago, Burger King in Brazil partnered with an advertising agency, Ophili, I think, or Ophivili. Um, and they did a thing where they hid a camera in front of the, cash, of the cashier. And when a customer would order a burger, that camera would take a photo of the customer. And then that, the photo of the customer, his face would be plastered onto the wrapper that would be then wrapped that, that then his burger, his Whopper, would be would be wrapped in. So when he received his Whopper, it had his face on it. It's it's a pretty interesting idea. You know, the whole point was so that they're they're proving or they're they're reinforcing that you get your your burger your own way and that it, it wasn't pre pre made before you got there. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a short video and I and I paused on this guy because he got his burger and he said, "Man, that's an ugly photo." <laughs> Uh, so not everybody was uh, uniformly thrilled about the prospect, but I guess it was a pretty good viral campaign for them. Yeah, it was. It, it was all over the face, Brazilian Facebook news feeds and whatnot. Now, listen, Fernando, I'm not advocating that people go out and eat Kentucky Fried Chicken Burger King all the time. It's not, it's not healthy for you. <laughs> That's all I want to say. Uh, but I, I would love to see, uh, you know, I, this isn't photo as weapon. This is photo as, uh, as advertisement. So uh, not too dissimilar from Coca-Cola putting different names on the sides of their cans uh, in their latest promotion. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I told you that I don't want you eating at Burger King and I don't want you eating at KFC, but we're ending this show this week with one more fast food chain because I thought it was brilliant. Uh, this uh, <laughs> high schooler decided that for her senior portraits, she wanted uh, her photos taken at Taco Bell. So she hired a Missouri-based photographer, Brendan Batchelor, to show up at Taco Bell. He wasn't sure whether it was a joke or not. But this gal, uh, Brittany Nicole Creech, was apparently really into it and ended up getting, I mean, she looks like a, like a fast food model, like a model that should be in a commercial. And, and actually that was her goal. She wants to be in a Taco Bell commercial. Uh, and she looks great. Yeah, this was really fun, especially, I mean, senior, senior portraits never change, it seems. So it's always, you know, a photo of a girl in the woods or <laughs> you know, looking really smart and ready for college. But this was just fun. And now, I have some friends who are uh, rising high school seniors, and they've started to populate their Facebook with their senior portraits. Mm. And to your point, they're all very, very staid. You know, they're, they're on gray seamless. I mean, they're, they, they look lovely, but they're all kind of boring. And I just, I wonder what it would be like for a couple of kids from my high school to go get their photo taken at Taco Bell. That would be fun. And I think Taco Bell really, I think they responded to this and they shared it and they... They did. I think, yeah, the tweet here, they tweeted about her. <laughs> Senior picture goals. Um, yeah, well, hopefully she gets the gig. 
Yeah, free publicity too for them. <laughs> Great stuff, Mr. Bachelor with those photos. Uh, Fernando, we had a lot of fast food this time. Yes, we did. I'm kind we of full. Will, uh, yeah, we will try to avoid having fast food next week. <laughs> Uh, and then we'll hopefully talk about photography as a weapon. I think that will be a nice discussion to have. I think so too. I think it will be a good one. Maybe we'll have some points of agreement next week. <laughs> hopefully points of disagreement too, to keep it interesting. Keep it Absolutely. Moving. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for Fernando. This is Alan Murabayashi signing off for another episode of I Love Photography. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.